When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. We have a special one for you tonight, a little break in our That One Play series. We talked to Brent Urban, Ravens defensive lineman. Brent, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Ken? It's great to have you on. Really appreciate you uh, uh, making the time for us. Uh, one of my favorite Ravens in terms of a player that falls a little bit under the radar sometimes, but is there making some key plays. Want to hear a little bit about your story and hopefully really get into some cool inside football with regard to defensive line play. Cool. Uh, now let's talk background a little bit because this is you're coming up on 2023 and you're signed now for 2023, which is I guess a big milestone every year at this point in your career, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was nice to kind of get the deal done early. I don't have to kind of worry about it. Last off season, I was you know I waited a little while and had to do a workout with the Ravens. I was coming off injury, obviously. So yeah, it's nice to get that out of the way and uh, you know feel settled in for next year. We saw that Daryl Worley got signed the same day. So a couple of guys the Ravens obviously love. And with Daryl Worley, the number of times he was bopping on and off the roster, you know the Ravens really like him to do it that many times. It's not like he's this variable they're fitting in. They're taking a chance on losing every time. But they've obviously got handshake agreements on the side with a player like this. Last year, and this is something obviously the Ravens do fairly regularly, they will cut players uh, oftentimes on these vet men contracts and then bring them back as soon as they've snuck a few of the younger players onto the IR uh, after they make the opening season. Is that something you would expect as a possibility in in this year for the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. Um, You know, I understand. I think it's a smart way to build your roster, honestly. You can fit extra guys in and make it a 55-man or 56-man, whatever the case is. So, um, you know, I think as far as, you know, the contracts that are – um that makes sense to do it with i'm definitely falling into that category and you know i did it last year obviously so i could see it happening again absolutely all right well outstanding that that certainly is, is very valuable to the ravens now i was looking through your wikipedia page and i found some interesting things about you i didn't know and you know football fans are not always hockey fans i do happen to be a hockey fan but in this case i noticed first of all you're the 26th canadian ever drafted in the nfl which is that's pretty damn good. And, and also that you played a lot of international hockey growing up. Yeah, I played ho- hockey was my first love growing up. Um, I started playing when I was seven then stopped for a little bit and then um, picked it back up when I was 11, I believe. Um, 
Yeah, love hockey. Played on um, a really successful team. We were in. Obviously, I was born in like the mecca of hockey, basically. So minor hockey was, you know, everything there. Um, and I played for one of the best teams. So we'd play like a hundred games a year, almost. I'd, you know, we'd win like ninety or so of them. There was, I think, like six or seven NHL players from that team. I think probably like four or so still playing. So. Yeah, it was a, you know, it was, that was my first love. Played on a really good hockey team. I think as far as my size and that thing, that stuff goes, it, you know, there's a point in time where I had to make a decision. I felt like, you know, hockey isn't necessarily a big man's game, at least not anymore, kind of the way it's trending. And, um, you know, decided to pick football. So, you know, Zidane Ochoa immediately comes to mind when, when talking about guys your size, but what position did you play? Uh, I was a left wing, actually. So I'd kind of, you know, dump and chase, you know, get after the defenseman, stand in front of the net, yeah. that whole kind of thing. I like to play really physical. So it kind of fit my skill set well, though, you know, the game's kind of getting faster and smaller. I didn't really necessarily want to be a purely an enforcer. So I didn't see, you know, maybe a professional career for myself and obviously decided to go with football. All right. Fascinating. Just absolutely fascinating stuff. So I, I noticed you labeled a two-star recruit going to Virginia, but tell me a little bit about the recruitment process going there. Yeah, I guess, you know, my dad was a huge help in kind of getting attention and um, just getting the recruiting, I guess, pipeline, you could say, going. Um, there would be some schools that, that would come up to Canada, like maybe Eastern Michigan, University of Buffalo, that sort of thing. Um, I was trying to obviously potentially go somewhere a little more high profile. So my dad, you know, we'd kind of pack up the car and, you know, certain weekends there'd be like the Penn State football camp and we would go down there. And so my dad was really great as far as, you know, arranging these um, trips to kind of gain buzz and attention and, you know, start getting letters that way. So that's kind of how we drummed up, um, I guess, attention as far as the recruiting process went. So, um, yeah, we'd load up the car and kind of drive all over the place. That was, you know, somewhat close, Michigan, those type of places. And um, I think I went out, we went out to a bunch of places after my like sophomore year. Um, I went to like a Nike camp and those sort of things. And then the following uh, junior year, I guess when I came back to high school, I was starting to get a lot of letters kind of from all over the place. And um, that's kind of where it took off. So how many offers did you end up getting? I think I had like 15 to 20, somewhere in there, mainly ACC schools. Um, my best like offer, I guess, at the time was like Notre Dame, but that was a loaded recruiting class of like Stephon Tewitt and Lewis Nix and all those kind of guys. So I decided to go with Virginia, somewhere I saw that I would kind of play a little more. I wanted a school that was, you know, kind of up there uh, academically. Um, so, so I chose Virginia. What'd you study in school? I was a history major. Yeah. I love history. So kind of, I was going in thinking I was going to be like a business major or something. I think kind of dealing with the time management and that sort of thing. I decided to go with history. At least this is a subject I really enjoyed. So Uh, something you might do after football, go back and teach or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not totally sure. Um, yeah, I don't know that I'm necessarily would like to be a teacher. I think it was just a good basis for me to um, learn to read and write like critically and just study things that I enjoyed, honestly. All right. Very cool. 
a career at uh, at Virginia included some wild statistics, including something we'd see in the NFL, which is a lot of batted passes one year. You had nine, and it was you didn't even play the whole year that year, right? Yeah, so that was my senior year. I think I played the first eight, six games. I think it was eight games, and I had like eight batted balls through the first like eight games. I think I was tied for the lead in the ACC with like most. Uh, I guess batted passes or whatever. It might have been in the nation. I was like really high up there, and then I happened to get injured, um, and that kind of obviously slowed the stats down. But yeah, it was a, you know, it was, that was kind of my like breakout year. Where after my junior year, you know, it was kind of like you know, is this guy really going to be a legit NFL prospect? And I probably would have been like a low round draft pick, maybe free agent type guy. And then I kind of had that senior year that. Um, had a lot of really good stats and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, it was cut short due to injury, but you know, that was, that was kind of like what was going on in my career during that time. I was getting hurt a lot and you know, that's that sort of thing, but yeah, it worked out really well. And, um, you know, thankfully that year I made a lot of plays and got drafted. So, so take us a little bit through the draft day experience. Everyone wants to hear that and, uh, uh, you know, got drafted, picked by the Ravens in the fourth round and, uh, uh, talk a little bit about just where you were on draft day and how, what kind of a special deal that was for you. Yeah, it was great. We had, um, I had my, all my parents, parents and uh, little sister down. Um, we had a place in kind of in Virginia. We were all watching the first, you know, those, those couple of days. Um, I did, I did think I was going to get drafted a little higher. So I was like one of those guys, you know, kind of the, in the moment getting a little frustrated and, seeing the, you know, some guys' names where I was like, oh man, I'm better than him type of thing. Um, but yeah, I think I was a comp pick in the fourth round. So obviously Ozzy called me and, you know, I was ecstatic, you know, being growing up, kind of watching those defenses, Baltimore and the Steelers and watching like the five techniques they had. And, you know, it was just when I was a young kid, you know, these were the teams that I watched and played a lot in Canada being, you know, they're relatively close um so yeah i was ecstatic talking to ozzy and harbs and you know it was just a blessing man so i was just super excited and yeah you know the rest is history i guess that's that's very cool uh rookie year i i don't know if this was your rookie year or your second year in camp but the rookie year had you had the acl injury and you missed the whole yep. year. that was that was really unfortunate um the your the thing i remember in the first kind of memory I have for you with camp. So I'm not sure if it was 14 or 15. It was probably 15. You uh, you were playing defensive line. It was some sort of a goal line package. They were running for a few minutes in that, in that series. And Harbaugh specifically was getting on you about not being low enough and fast enough and you're not ready for this. And kind of, He's doing it from, you know, 50 yards away or, you know, 60 feet away, maybe, let's say. If, if he couldn't have possibly seen and it's, it's almost to me like he was trying to break you being the biggest guy, like, like, you know, you, you try and break the biggest guy in a platoon if you're a drill sergeant. Yeah. You know, uh, I have such a great relationship with Harbs and kind of when I was young, um, first coming in and dealing with the injuries, I think that was, you know, he was a type of guy to, you know, if he's not saying anything to you, I don't think he really likes you type of thing. So it was, he was a guy who often challenged me and, you know, it would be like, look how big you are. Like, why aren't you making plays type of thing? Um, and that kind of just lit a fire under me and um, kind of allowed me to, I guess, take my game to the next level. Obviously, there was a lot of injuries and that sort of thing. But 
Harbs was a constant guy to kind of get after me and like fire me up type of thing early in my career. And um, I think that kind of made me maybe a little more mentally tough and kind of realized the gifts I had as far as um, being able to play at that level. So the 2015 season, we'll talk a little bit about you waited a while to get on the field. So it's week 12 or so. And I know the Ravens have had some guys in the past who even it were, were healthy scratches during a period like this. Uh, Paul Kruger comes to mind as a guy, great pass rusher. And, and he had a hard time getting on the field because he really didn't have a big special teams presence. But to, take us to a little bit of 2015, what was going on and, and finally getting activated. Yeah, so 15, actually, I tore my bicep in camp um, that year. And that put me out for how much, how long was it? Like three to four months timeline. It was early in camp where, you know, there was a possibility that I'd be able to play. I think at that time we had, you had like one or two guys you could designate IR to return. Um, and so, you know, there was like the little glimmer that it would be a possibility that I'd be able to come back that year. Um, and then I think it must've been like week eight, week nine. Um, I was starting to practice. They were like activating me and allowing me to practice and, um, I guess they just wanted to see what, what I had, you know, at that kind of at that point, it, you know, it was ACL first year and then torn bicep the second, you know, at a certain point you got to like show your worth and in order like to keep me around being through all those injuries and that sort of thing. Um, so I was lucky enough, you know, they allowed me, I think I was hired to return. I was back. I think I came back for like six games. That was the only, that was the maximum amount I was even allotted to come back for. Um, so there was no real point where I was inactive. Like it was just like, I was healthy. They felt I was ready um, after like two weeks of practice. And um, I got out there and it was obviously that Cleveland Browns <laughs> block, you know, and I didn't play many plays on defense. It was moving so fast for me at the time. Um, and then was lucky, lucky enough to make a play like that to kind of, you know, show that I was I was here and um, kind of allowed me to, uh, I don't know, just make a name for myself, I guess. I break down that kick six for us a little bit. I know that, that you you uh, I want you to talk about like how you had to maneuver against the opposing defensive lineman. But I know also that, that Will Hill picked the ball up and. Fans are fickle. They're rooting for draft picks sometimes. <laughs> the Ravens, I don't think, had completely given up on the season at that point, even though things looked very grim, obviously. But uh, but Will Hill picked it up, ran it in. And I, I, as I understand it, Cleveland Browns fans are very happy about it. Which is yeah. <laughs> take, but take us to what you did on that play. Um, yeah, so we it was just like a max block type thing. I was aligning the C gap, I believe. And next to me was Lawrence Guy and Chris Canty, I believe. Um, they might have been swapped, but either way, they were next to me. Um, you know, you just kind of get off low and try to slip your way through. If you're further out in the C gap, the chance of the ball going on your head are a little lower. So you're trying to kind of slip more and um, lean, I guess, bend inwards to the ball. Um, so when Lawrence or Chris, whoever it was, they kind of took a good chunk out of that tackle and got them to collapse down. So I was able to kind of like knife my way through and just get my hand up. You know, I couldn't believe it hit my hand and uh, just saw Will Hill pick it up. And, you know, it was kind of like one of the craziest plays I've ever seen and didn't really know what happened. It was, everything was so kind of moving so fast and I was so nervous for this game and 
um for it to end like that it was just like unbelievable you know i really didn't know what was going on <laughs> we have a, a thing here in baltimore that pretty much everybody knows everybody somehow you can always kind of kind of like name one person and then oh i know him i know him kind of thing uh you have one of two prints of that, as I understand it, from the Ravens or a Ravens photographer at that time, Sabina Moran, who is uh, the wife of my exercise guy. <laughs> so, so just tonight I was working out. I was telling him, hey, I've interviewed Brent Irvin tonight. And, uh, and he said, oh, you know, my wife did a photo of him. And so uh, maybe a 16 by 20 or something. And he wondered if you still had it. I actually do. Yeah, I got this um, framed picture. That was really cool kind of the whole like deep, I guess deep like field goal block team kind of going off and the you know obviously making the block so I do have that still yeah that's a that's a prized possession for sure so it's uh yeah it's really cool all right very cool very cool so uh the Ravens you know during your entire career certainly and really during their entire history have been a rotational defensive line team so they rely on on what I would think is a deeper set of defensive linemen for fewer snaps each so it's interesting a player like Calais Campbell comes here late in his career and his snap counts get gets you know pretty drastically reduced. Has that been a good system for you, do you think? Um, I think so. You know, I think especially this part of my career, you know, obviously I had a lot of injuries early. Um, you know, a lot of concerns with me, I think, from um decision makers is just, you know, how long is he able to sustain kind of with the injuries he had early on. And I think you know, being a rotational guy and kind of like getting used to, you know, you got 15 or 20 plays to kind of make the most out of has been a thing that I, it's just a role that I've kind of was like forced to go into because of like how I was injured, you know, a team wasn't going to make that like big commitment um, to me being like a starter or that type of thing with, you know, my injury history. So um, it was just something I got used to. And um, when I was cut and had to go to the bears, you know, it's just, a role you kind of get used to and really honestly I really enjoy it you know I kind of know how to like get the most out of those plays um you know sometimes my butt like it allows me to I don't know maybe have a little more longevity as far as um you know I'm not playing those 60 plays a game and you know my body's like not killing me on the week to week where I kind of feel like I can really get after it for those 15 or 20 and it's not like a you know a guy who's playing 60 plays you got to you got to like maintain your energy a certain way. So if it's a, you know, I don't know, like a roll out the other way, you're going to kind of like, you know, take it off a little bit, but um, kind of as far as how I play, it's, you know, 15, 20 all out. And, you know, it's kind of what I'm used to. And um, it's kind of the role that I've been giving for, given for a long, a while now. So um, I enjoy it. You know, it's kind of all I know at this point. And obviously, you know, I've been successful doing that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't really think of it that way in terms of managing your energy on field. But obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers and some other teams who've really been known for not rotating nearly as much, even with a four man front that, uh, you know, Tewitt and Hayward have played a ton of interior snaps. And uh, it, it, it must be difficult for them to be a, a super high energy player every play. I mean, they're great players, but uh, boy, I think it would be difficult. Yeah, it's tough. I think. You know, when you watch guys like that who are playing a ton of plays, you can kind of notice there's certain points where you can you kind of have to like kick it back a little bit. It's impossible to go absolutely all out for 60 plays. You know, it's just not possible. So, um, you know, I'm obviously a proponent of rotational D lines. Like, you're just able to go harder. Um, 
whether it be, you know, whether you're playing even 40 plays compared to 60, you know, 60 is a lot. So, um, you know, I obviously am a proponent of that. And um, I've also just in my like D line studies and all that kind of stuff, you kind of notice just how guys are able to do that, you know, and it's, there are plays taken off. Like there just has to be. It's uh, it's interesting because you evolved in your final year with the Ravens into kind of an Iron Man. You played over 550 snaps. Uh, you were in there for over 50% of the plays, which really seems that to me is the point at which it's a very heavily used lineman in the Ravens scheme. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Yeah, so I guess the, my fifth year, I was coming off of this Frank injury. So that like fourth year was obviously – you know, my big year and I was like the guy on third down and all the packages and, you know, that whole sort of thing. And obviously I got hurt. Um, it was obviously unfortunate and that sort of thing. But um, luckily the Ravens, you know, they they kind of made that commitment to have me come back, which I was ecstatic. You know, at that point I was like, am I going to play again? I have no idea kind of what's going to happen. Um and so when I came back, there was, it was kind of that similar role. They didn't really have a guy who they had younger guys who they had drafted, but I was kind of still able to like maintain that position I had had the year before for my fourth year. Um, so it was really just kind of playing the same amount that um, in that role that had been, that I kind of established for myself the year before. Um, but yeah, it was the most I've played. Um it's definitely kind of, yeah, like like you just said, it's kind of the high end of like a Ravens defensive lineman would play. Um, so, I mean, I had a ball. Obviously, it's fun playing a lot too. So it was a little bit different, but it was a great experience for me and um, was one of, I guess, highlights of my career, I guess. I would have said it was your best season in a lot of ways. Just a wonderful, uh, wonderful year there playing a lot. Um, one of the questions I have for you, you know, your position – and you're certainly not a pure five tech, but there's, there's, is there really room for a pure five tech in the NFL anymore with the way opposing teams like to offenses like to run out of 11 personnel, force the nickel, leave you with six set pieces. I just going through this quickly for the people in the air. I know you know this and, and leave you only with a, a typically a nose tackle and a three technique on the defensive line with two outside linebackers. So, um. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm obviously biased. You know, I yeah. really am a prototypical five technique as far as my like, size and um, all that goes. Um, but I do think a kind of defensive line group is at its best when you kind of have different body types. You know, you kind of are able to handle certain situations. Like, I guess you could take this year in the NFL, the top run was still duo, right? And a lot of duo is run out of two tight end sets, like a YY wing sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a guy with long arms and it's a little bit bigger than say like, I don't know, like a 250, 260 pound uh, pass rusher, you can put a guy like me or Calais or something head up on that down tight end and it's going to kind of create, create havoc. So um, not only that, but just, in terms of handling an offensive tackle to, to two gap, you know, you'll see smaller guys in different like get off fronts. They'll just kind of get like bim blocked up the field and that B gap will be wide open. So I think there's a place for it. I don't necessarily need, know that, you know, teams need a ton of five techniques, but I think it kind of just adds another way to attack an offense. There's so much like varied offenses and um, that are just, 
will attack you different ways, you know? So I think you have to be ready in case that happens and carrying a five technique on your roster will definitely help stop certain plays and certain offenses. Do you think the Ravens looked at you and said, you know, whether it was originally when you were drafted or, or when they brought you back and said, Hey, this is a guy we know can play either three or five. And so if we need him for some early down three plays, he's, he's good for that. And, and uh, when we're in base defense, obviously we use him as a five, uh, but it's, it, it do you think that was part of the the um, selling value or the icing on the cake, whatever you want to call it, with, with, with re-signing Brett Urban? I think so, yeah. Like, people know I can stop the run at a five technique. I think um, I think my versatility is, is a big factor in stopping the run. Like, if you look back to when I played for the Bears, there was actually a couple of games where I was playing heavily just at zero technique. Um, and so I've kind of done it from every position. Um, I feel comfortable at every position, honestly. Uh, five technique, yes, that's that's the prototypical, and that's where like everybody wants to put me. Um, and it's kind of accentuates what I'm good at, obviously. But I think um, just my versatility. Period. Um, you know, you can kind of put me anywhere. I'm going to be the same kind of physical stack and shed player, um, really, whoever you line me up on. All right. Very good. I want to talk about some things, hopefully give you a chance to talk some inside football to us. So this last section here was great in terms of just hearing uh, really cool stuff that we don't normally get to talk about. Uh, one of the things that, you know, will come up regularly is that the interior defensive lineman, less often the tackler. And I always try and you know have this conversation with people about how defensive linemen don't necessarily. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? 
What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply rack up huge tackle numbers, but they will impede run plays and funnel run plays. Maybe talk about that a little bit in terms of what are some of your keys that you're reading on a run play that you're trying to uh, work towards sending sending the runner in the right direction? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, obviously, like one of the more popular runs, I guess you'd say, is like a zone open where it's like gun near or something like that. And you're the three technique to the running back. So you kind of know they're probably going to run away from where the running backs lined up. And you know, you're probably going to get like a combo block, I guess, from the garden tackle. Mm -hmm. Um, You can create a lot of space for others with how you kind of play both blocks and get in kind of like suck up those two blocks in order to like get it to cut back to the C gap. Um, Or if I play a little like backside, it'll help it like kind of cut front side. So yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's a ton of ways to play each run. And I think, um, I guess stopping the run out of, you know, stopping 11 personnel run like you were talking about earlier is a lot of it is just kind of honestly taking up two blocks inside and kind of just holding the line where it is because you don't want any, you don't want any leakage in certain areas. It's obviously going to create a hole for the running back. So I think you're very conscious of the run in certain areas or just like the formation and that sort of thing. And so if I know I'm getting a combo block, I'm not really going to try to like shoot the gap and make the play. Like a lot of defenses do like, I don't know, San Francisco or whatever, um, where they're just trying to like get through the combo block and they don't care if the linebackers, you know, getting blocked by the guard or whoever. So a lot of it's just how you kind of take the space away um, and allow others, I guess, to flow freely to the ball. Okay, so that's a that's a great point you're making. Is that you could be uh, you could you could choose, and it is a matter of choice then to be the penetrator, try and make the play yourself, or allow the linebacker to do his job, and and hopefully you cover cover a guard up from getting to him. For sure, yeah. There's a I mean, there's a lot of ways to play it, and um, I made a play against Pittsburgh where it was just like the same zone open over and over again, and then eventually you'll just kind of like do it like try to just split it one time, you know, or that sort of thing. So there's just, there's so many ways to play it. And um, defensive line is such an interesting position because there's so many different body types and ways to play each block. Um, 
the way I like to play is obviously to just stack guys up and allow guys to make plays and that sort of thing. But there's definitely a time and place to kind of do a change up because they just think you're, you know, they see me, they think I'm just going to kind of, you know, just sit on the double team and allow like rope on to come downhill or whatever the case may be. Um, and then that's kind of where, in my opinion, it kind of offers like a, a, a chance to make a play for yourself, I guess. But a lot of that, like 11 personnel, it's become like so prevalent at NFL. You're just both your, your nose and three are pretty much just getting doubled, you know, doubles across the board and they're, the running backs just going to try to find a way to get open. So in those sort of situations, you got to see, are they trying to hit it front side or get it to cut back to that C gap? And I think you're going to play it different based on that. If they're going to cut back to the C gap, I might play into the tackle a little bit more um, just so there's no space in that certain area. So yeah, there's, there's a ton of ways to play it. And um, I think you, you just try to see the intent of the offense more than anything um, with how, with how to kind of play those blocks, I guess. Now, obviously, you know, defensive linemen who get to a certain age, you know, probably have the sort of uh, understanding of the game that you've got, but uh, you, you seem to be able to articulate it very well. And I'm wondering, is, is there a future in coaching for you coming out of this? Is this something you maybe want to go into? Uh, I'm not so sure. I think I just, honestly, I'd be more, more into kind of an evaluation um role than anything i really just like watching defensive linemen and seeing like the intricacies of the position um that's kind of my favorite thing i'm not like i don't think i'm patient enough to sit through with you know someone to try to teach them over and over again you know that sort of thing so i don't know about coaching i think i've just played for so long had so many experiences and have enjoyed watching certain guys play you know all sorts of different ways and that's kind of you know built my knowledge up Outstanding, just fantastic stuff. Let's talk about another element of your game. Obviously, something that was extremely successful in college, but still present in the pros is is your ability to kind of uh, read the quarterback so you can bat a pass down. Still, talk a little bit about what your process is for doing that. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing is the. I guess it all starts with just knocking the offensive lineman back, right? You're gonna you're gonna have more surface area to bat the pass if you're not instead of being further away trying to jump and bat it right so i think number one you're just trying to bull rush the offensive line and i think that's the most important thing um or also i guess if you're getting the double team up front like the center slide or something then you can kind of play with it a little more but you kind of have to not mess up the rush lanes there so i think um the number one thing is getting knocked back in terms of making it a more successful chance of doing so. Um, I think down in distance also helps, you know, if it's short and you know, it's a pass to the sticks or if it's shotgun, they're going to get the ball out quicker. You know, you try to like think of all, all these things kind of going into the play and trying to figure out, you know, all right, if they're going to get the ball out quick here, you know, I should probably try to get my hands up a little earlier sort of thing. So there's, yeah, it's all, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, there's certain guys who are just, it's really hard to bat their passes. I don't know, you know, if they're just used to throwing it over guys or that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's there's so many factors into it. But I think, you know, number one, you're trying to just get to close, close to the quarterback as possible. And that's going to make it more successful. Okay. So that kind of makes sense to me that that, that the, your cone that you would cover in terms of where the ball could go down the field, say at a distance of 10 yards, would be a little broader if you're closer to the quarterback. 
Talk about the bull rush a little bit as it fits into this and what it's doing to that defensive lineman. Is there anything like we had Ben Powers on and, and he was talking about, well, you know, you want to make sure you punch that guy in the stomach occasionally and then help keep his arms down kind of thing. What, what, what do you have to try and do to make sure that that guard doesn't prevent you from getting your hands up? Yeah, I think it's tough certain times. Like, you know, I'll kind of get in a bull rush like too thick or too close to the offensive line and you can just like feel their hands like in your pads and you can't jump at all. You know, you're just stuck. But I think creating separation as far as, you know, getting extension with the blocker um, is the most important thing. You know, if they can't touch you, they're not going to be able to hold you, right? So I think um, having a good enough forward lean extension, that sort of thing is going to allow them to stay off your body. Um, and generate more force um, in pushing them too. So um, that's probably the biggest factor. You obviously try to make it violent and get them to knock back and that sort of thing. But I guess with a guy on you, if you have enough extension, you can at least get one arm off to impact the impact the throw. So um, as as long as you're keeping one arm free, you know, I feel like I'm gonna at least make it tough for the quarterback to see, you know, the receiver. Now you're a very long defensive lineman. You're over 34 inches of, of length, which is a, you know, that's outstanding length for an offensive lineman. Uh, so, so a, for a defensive lineman to have that is, is really exceptional. And then the defense of course has the option of one arms longer than two. Can you, can you move, can you use that to your advantage when you're batting down a pass or, or do you have to maintain your, a, your, uh, a, uh, I guess I call it a perpendicularity to, to, to the quarterback to, to get your arm up in such a situation? Yeah, I guess so. I think the ball is rarely like the ball is rarely too high that I can't get to it. You know what I mean? That I really have to stretch out. It's usually at a point where it goes to the side of your arm more than anything. Quarterbacks are so good in the league. Some of them where they'll like kind of see where your hand arms going and like throw it to the side of it. There's been so many times where the ball has gone like right between my head and like my hand, you know? So it's just, it's rarely going over me. It's honestly more going around me. And I think quarterbacks do such a good job of kind of seeing where they can kind of like throw it around me or sidearm or, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, it makes it really tough, you know, and I'm, I'm usually not concerned with getting my hands up as high as possible. It's more just kind of getting it to where I think they're going to throw it. But again, that's a really tough thing to do. And, you know, so I don't think that's why, that's why you're not seeing guys get like five batter balls a game or, you know, it's still a relatively tough thing to do. So I, I was going to say, you, you mentioned the odd arm angle that will come in with, with the intent of beating you. And you obviously, you, you play against a mobile quarterback in practice. I guess this would really apply to either of them, but Lamar more so, obviously. Uh, who who has an ability to throw the ball, you know, side three quarters, whatever he needs to do to get it around the line. Is that good good practice for you working against some of the mobile quarterbacks today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes it a lot harder to bat balls. Obviously, guys like to get out of the pocket and that sort of thing. So, you know, I think really good moral, uh, mobile quarterbacks, I guess, probably get a lot less batted balls and. Um, definitely a guy like Lamar or Snoop, you know, like in practice, they'll throw sidearms and you're like, just trying to like get your arm to the side to, to bat it and stuff. So yeah, it makes it really difficult. Um, you know, those quarterbacks are getting so good with changing like their arm trajectory and that sort of thing. It makes it way harder for us to try to bat balls. And you had a, you had a bad pass that got intercepted by Houston in the New Orleans game this year, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what, take us through that individual play. What happened? 
Yeah, so I guess that this is a, a play kind of really in line with what I was first talking about, where it's um, – I knew it was a pass. I don't know if I had to read maybe the offensive lineman's stance or whatever the case may be um, at the time. And so I kind of widened out, and I was like, all right, I'm going to bull rush this guy, basically. So I widened out, maybe backed up a little bit to generate a bit more force um, and kind of just got a good bull rush where I felt like I was really knocking him back. and he was kind of like replacing his hands trying to get a, get a a hold of me, but I had enough extension where I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I was able to kind of freely just put my hand up. I did like just a one hand up while I was pushing him with the other hand. And um, yeah, I just got tipped a funny way that went right to Houston. So yeah, I was uh, lucky enough to get him the ball and, you know, it obviously made it a bigger play. So yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, another another play where they're going to remember Houston on that play probably more than they're going to remember that that you you batted it. But uh, story right. of your career, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, it uh, happens. <laughs> uh, that's such such fantastic inside football. Maybe we go back to an individual player here because you you've had obviously the the opportunity to play with Calais Campbell late in his career. Can you talk a little bit about him and and what he means to the to the maybe the DL Roma, the you in particular, if you like, because you play the same position more or less. Yeah, I was. Uh... I was super excited to get a chance to play with him. Obviously when I signed with Baltimore, he was a guy who I'd watch a ton. Just I watch a lot of like other taller D linemen. Cause you have to play a certain way. You know, I can't play like Javon Hargrave or, you know, a guy who's like a shorter kind of quicker guy like that. So he was one of the defensive linemen. I watched a ton. He was honestly one of my favorite players kind of watching when he was with Jacksonville. Um, so yeah, I was super excited. Um, He's a he's first and foremost is a great leader, a good dude. Um, he's awesome to have in the room. Um, he's just a guy you want to play with, man. He's gets us all fired up. He's just like such a great presence to kind of have around. Um, just a true leader, man. He always has something to say, and he's always trying to like coach up the finer points and certain things like that. So it's just a blast to be around. Um, it's also fun for me just personally to see like how he plays certain things being a taller guy. We're honestly very different players in how we play blocks and stuff. So it's kind of interesting for me just to see how he does, you know, we're seeing the same blocks in training camp going against our offense. And I'm able to see, you know, what, what I do and what he does against the, the same thing. So um, it allows me to see a guy who's able to, he, he doesn't necessarily play as much stack and shed physical straight up as I do. Right. He's a guy who's a lot more slippery and get, kind of gets gets in gaps and that that kind of thing. So it's just interesting to me to see how he plays and um, you know hopefully uh, I think I borrowed you know some of the, his certain techniques and you know that sort of thing. So yeah, it's been great to have him around. Two two things that I would have I would have looked at and said these are these are things where you're like and maybe one that, that you're that you're dissimilar also. But his mantra was always playing very low. And, and it was very important for him at his height to make sure he stayed low. And when he does, he was unstoppable a lot of the time. And I see some of that in, in your game is really wanting to try and play low despite your height. Um, the other thing that, that, you know, I don't think people realize as much about Calais as, as, uh, as they should is how quick he is as an over on stunts. I just, I, I, for, for a man his size to be able to move off the rear end of the guy next to him so easily is just, it's very unusual to me. For sure. Yeah. He's uh he's so good at running games, you know. His his like 
the, his, the finer points of what he does is really impressive. Um, you know, he kind of thinks of little things you wouldn't necessarily think of and the angles. Yeah. He takes on games. It's just, um, you know, he's a master at it, you know, and that's why he's still able to play at such a high level is his football IQs, you know, off the charts and especially with running games and, you know, pass rushing and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's been just really cool to see. Um, obviously you mentioned just playing lower you, as a, a tall guy, you have to, man, or you're going to get blown up. So I think, you know, all his tall guys have probably had a couple of cases where we got, you know, thrown out <laughs> completely just in a double team or whatever the case is sit playing too high. So, um, if you're low and have long arms, you're going to have better natural leverage, you know, just being a taller guy. So it's a huge, huge point of just being a tall player in the NFL. Do you, do you look for opportunities against that to, to go against shorter arm players? I mean, it seems like one of the things you could do is if you're crossing the face of a guard, for example, going into a center, they're going to typically be shorter, the shorter arm offensive lineman, period. Um, you, you, do you have an opportunity then? Do you try and do more one-arm play in that situation, even take more advantage? Or is that an opportunity to, to go with both hands, knowing that you're going to be longer anyway? Or maybe take just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I think my – I think personally, like I like to kind of go like two arms to one to generate a little more force. I think if you're going like straight in with one arm, you got to be like crazy – like. I think a guy like Travis Jones, I've seen him do that, but like, man, there's very few people that can kind of generate enough force with just one arm. You kind of have to go with two to one to kind of get that momentum going forward. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of tall guys like going against centers, like in pass rush situations, they're, they're usually shorter armed um, and obviously lighter too. So they're kind of, you'll see a lot of like, Calais will line up on centers a lot and kind of like bowl them and use his length and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a favorable matchup for sure, I think. But um, I guess another point is it's honestly nice playing. There's certain offensive tackles or like guys who play a lot, like really upright who may have long arms, but it's their pad level is so high. You like love to bull rush them too. You know what I mean? Where it could be a huge six, eight guy where you'd be like, man, he like, there's no way guys could bull rush him. But then you watch him, his tape and he's getting, he's playing so upright that he just can't sit under it. Um, and so those guys are honestly great to bull rush as well. So I think, yeah, their pad, their the offensive lineman's pad level or their arm length, you know, if they kind of have, both of that going for them it'll be hard to bull rush them but you know it's obviously hard to kind of see guys that have both all right all right outstanding stuff uh maybe we talk a little bit about you know where you are now in your career and and to me a a place really to be celebrated that, that you're an nfl survivor at this point a guy who has been around the block unfortunately didn't really work out in terms of getting that one really big contract and i know that's you know a shame it's something that that just happens to, to some players but on the other hand you've played the nfl for a very long time uh you now have a presence uh, undeniably on special teams on, on pretty much the kick block unit you also play on the on the kick unit as well yep yep i, I usually play on both yeah it was like a wing or tight end on uh yeah field goal protection yeah and and uh, uh obviously still playing a good rotational role on on defense the question I would have is, is uh, first of all, are there 
hopefully a couple more years of this, or do you have a sense of uh, uh, how many more years you're, you'll, you'll still be wanting to play? Yeah, it's tough to say. I think early on, kind of my goal is always to play 10 years and uh, that's now next year, which is really crazy. Um, you know, obviously the injuries and stuff that happened earlier in my career, um, it was tough. And, you know, I, it's honestly not a thing I look at kind of, I guess in a salty way, like I, you know, I like should have got paid or, you know, anything like that. I really don't look at it like that. Um, I think all those injuries and, you know, hard stuff that I kind of got through earlier in my career, like I wouldn't have the longevity I do now of trying to figure out where I'm so tapped into my body now. And, you know, I have a good sense of like how to stay healthy and how to protect myself and those sort of things. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I think I just, I'm probably just going to just keep playing until, you know, it just doesn't feel right anymore. I'm not trying to really limit myself, but I thought I felt pretty good last year. And, um, you know, training for this year, my body still feels pretty good. And, um, you know, I think it's funny, certain guys I talk to, they'll always say like, you know, if you're out for the year with like an ACL, your rest of your body's not getting as beat up. So I wonder if I'm getting, you know, maybe I'm, getting a little extra, like, you know, I have a little extra juice because I missed a lot of time, like on the shelf with more specific injuries like that. So um, it's hard to say, but, you know, I still feel good at this point, still feel like I can make an impact and, you know, I'll probably just take it year by year, but, you know, I love the game and um, maybe because it's been taken away from me so much, I kind of really appreciate it more and just embrace it. Um, so it's not something I view as, um, me necessarily stopping i think i'll just kind of play and you know just take it kind of year by year so uh a lot of older players uh, some older players really don't like camp they really don't they just don't appreciate being there they maybe don't appreciate the meeting room but you talked a little bit about this i don't want to speak for you and there's other older players who clearly just love it i mean terrell suggs fell into this category the last several years of camp it's like there's no other place this guy would rather be and, you, you know, he's, he could be on any of those three practice fields out of the castle and you you know exactly where he is because his voice is booming all over the place in terms of talking. Hey, talk a little bit about that and what your, what your, what your thoughts are about training camp itself. And, and is it any different now than it was when you were a rookie? Um, it's definitely different now. You know, I think there's a lot more focus on rest and recovery than there was earlier. You know, it's not just let's get as many reps as possible like it kind of was early on in my career. Um, but yeah, you speak to guys like Terrell Suggs, you know, they make, they just, I've always noticed like the best, like the great players, they always make it just the grind so much more fun. You know, I've learned so much from guys like Terrell Suggs and, you know, even Calais being here where you got to make the grind fun, fun, you know, it's not necessarily fun waking up early every day and having these super long days of camp, but if you kind of just all come together and, you know, just realize you're playing a child's game, you know, and you're, you're, it's just what you've always wanted to do sort of thing, you know, and um, you just got to, I guess my take is just to be like when you're more of like an energy bringer and kind of go into training camp and just embrace each day of practice, you know, you're going to have more fun than kind of dreading it, I guess you could say, but it's definitely, it's definitely a tough thing. And it was a lot harder early on my career. And I think there's a better focus with how NFL coaches are taking it now. All right. Outstanding. Brent, 
been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. This is wonderful stuff. Tons of inside football. I know the, the, the folks are going to love it out there. Uh, anywhere they, if, if people want to reach out and talk football with you online, they hit you up on Twitter. What, what, are you active there? Yeah. Twitter is probably your best bet. I'm also on Instagram too, but yeah, at urban legend 96. And uh, you know, I, my favorite thing talking about football is kind of the intricacies of defensive line playing. So this was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, if any fans want to ask me questions or, you know, want to ask me about the finer points and those sort of things, you know, I'm always open. Okay. Out, outrageous, fantastic stuff. Folks out there, we're still doing the That One Play series. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. If you want one particular play in Ravens history you'd like to talk about, uh, implications, what you were doing at the time, why it created that stain on your carpet that's still there, all that's good. I want your perspective on that one play. So uh, thanks for listening, folks. I know we've been having a lot of fun recording that series. Brent, thanks again for spending time uh, out of your busy day to uh, make time for this. Are you renovating a house now here? Yeah, we just moved down here and dealing with renovations and all that craziness. So we're still, I'm not fully unpacked, but uh, we're Since getting there, man. Been busy. <laughs> so is this a house in the Baltimore area or somewhere else? Um, it's in Austin. We actually live down in Texas. Yeah, my wife's from Baltimore. So, you know, it's great being there. But uh, yeah, we decided to kind of have our off-season home down here. So, yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. I uh, I wanted to make a point of coming on because I do appreciate kind of how you touch, you know, the finer points of the game and not necessarily just, you know, let's talk about the same couple players over and over again, you know, digging deeper and that whole kind of thing. I do appreciate and we'll listen to your podcast from time to time. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.